Coming this Easter Sunday, sacred music for the Easter season. LutheranPublicRadio.org Lutheran Public Radio, sacred music for the world. Coming Easter Sunday at LutheranPublicRadio.org We really believe this is a time when people should avoid gatherings of more than 10 people. And uh, so we continue to urge churches around America to heed to that. The desire to use government power to suppress religion is far, far more dangerous than the quote-unquote marriage of faith and government. Death, I think, was... I wouldn't say it was accepted as part of life, but it was known that it was there and it was coming for you. That's something we kind of distract ourselves from today. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. This addresses his greatest need and that which is the source of all of our problems, namely sin. So his greatest need was to have his sins forgiven. While cooking or canning, nursing babies or taking a break during nap time, housewives love listening to issues, etc. Believe it or not, there are things more dangerous and more lethal than a global pandemic. There has been, in, in a lot of ways, a different kind of pandemic sweeping the globe, especially Western civilization, for much longer than these COVID-19 fears have been in circulation. Little noticed, but more dangerous in the long run to not only liberty, life, faith, even eternal salvation, is the pandemic of secularism. People scoff when they hear that because that used to be the bugaboo of the Christian right, the boogeyman of the Christian right, but secularism is a great danger. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in on this Tuesday afternoon, the 7th of April. We're going to start out talking about secularism with Dr. Albert Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. We'll talk equity programs, e-learning, and public schools with Beth Feely. She's written recently for The Federalist on that subject. Pastor Tom Baker will join us to teach a Sunday school lesson on Jesus' resurrection according to Matthew's Gospel. Then Glenn Stanton will be alongside. We'll talk about a possible coronavirus baby boom. We'll do listener email and the issues, etc. comment line around everything off. Joining us to talk about secularism, Dr. Albert Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, host of The Briefing and Thinking in Public and author of numerous books, including his latest, The Gathering Storm, Secularism, Culture, and the Church. Dr. Moeller, welcome back. Todd, as always, great to be with you. God bless you. How does secularists deal with something like COVID-19? What an interesting question. You know, uh, uh, one of the distinctions we have to make is between secularization, which is just a process that we uh, we can debate and observe, but uh, you, you, you contrast that with seculars who are ideologically committed to it, and, and that means they're ideologically committed against theism or any theistic worldview. So, you know, they just have to see this, frankly, in what I can only describe as the the most horrifying Darwinian terms. You know, the virus is just another aspect of an evolving uh, cosmos, and uh, it's deadly, and our species is more fragile than we thought. And, uh, yeah, I mean, th- this is where the Darwinian left has always said, you know, we're, we're likely to be, uh, you know, outlived as a species by roaches or rodents or viruses. 
So I, I guess that's all they're left with, because if, you, if there's no theism in your worldview and you exclude it, then we're doomed. How should we define secularism? Yeah, you know, the, the distinction I want to make is between secularization, which is the, a, a sociological process, and, and the danger there is, frankly, that people who think themselves Christians can be pretty much secularized without noting it. And then secularism, which is the ideological commitment. So, you know, I think, uh, Todd, one of the most interesting things is that lately the secularization has gone so far that the secularists feel pretty free to take the gloves off. So it used to be that in our society, real secularists were a very thin margin. And they still are numerically, but they just tend to be in control almost everywhere. They're in control of academia. They're in control of the cultural creators, in control of Hollywood. They're in control of the mainstream media. And some of them, they're in the situation I described in, in my new book, where they're so secular that they cannot imagine how anyone would not be secular. They consider us the outliers. We're the pe- anyone who believes in God, we're the people who have to be explained. Their new norm is so secular, they have no room for believers. How did secularism begin? Well, you know, I guess uh, speaking uh, Christian to Christian here, we know it begins in, uh, in a revolt in heaven and uh, a, a denial of God's glory. It expands, as we see in not only the Old Testament, but in a passage like Romans chapter 1, where uh, human beings, you know, exchange the knowledge of the one true and living God for a created image. So we know it's a very old story, but in, in our civilizational line, it really began to gain traction in the left wing of the Enlightenment uh, of the 18th century, and, uh, and then it just gained control in the 20th century of, uh, of the people who are the most important influencers of society. So, I mean, when you look right now, if you want to know what secular looks like, the late Peter Berger got it almost exactly right. He said, look at Sweden or at your average American elite college campus. That's what secular looks like. You write this near the end of your book, Christians must realize that the more enduring contest is not a rival between rival candidates, but between rival worldviews. What do you mean? Well, you know, one of the interesting things is that in the United States, the one place where Christians have won significant victories is in electoral politics. And so if you look at uh, American presidential races and uh, political races over the course of the last several decades, I mean, we, we, every single year we've lost ground uh, in the, uh, the academic world, and uh, we've lost ground in Hollywood uh, to the extent now it's you know, a plausible Christian worldview is just unknown, basically, in most of those sectors. But, but uh, American Christians and conservatives have won electoral victories. The danger in that is American Christians have begun to place too much confidence in those victories. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not depreciating those victories at all, uh, or the responsibility to vote, and to vote in full conviction. But the problem is that winning elections, though necessary, is not enough. We're in a far deeper battle than is going to be won in November of any year. Why do you say that Christians bear the highest responsibility in the face of secularism? Well, because we're the people of the truth. We're the people who know the one true and living God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. We're the people of the gospel. Uh, We're the people called to, to tell the world the truth about God when it wants to hear it and when it doesn't want to hear it. And so this is where we bear this responsibility. We're the only people on the planet who bear the responsibility of the gospel. This is the body of Christ, and the responsibility we bear for time and eternity 
is just far greater than anything else. And, and by the way, Todd, I would just come back to say to Christians, just remember, one day Harvard University will exist no more. But one day the United States Congress will never meet again. You know, it, empires rise and empires fall. But Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And in the very same gospel, uh, he sends his disciples out into the world to make disciples. So that's our responsibility. Nobody else has it. It's ours. So it's up to us. I mean, it's what Christ will do, but it's uh, our responsibility to be obedient. What has secularism done to Western civilization? Well, you know, one of the things I would point to first is the basic loss of any common understanding of time and eternity, of humanity, of human dignity. And so you can look at all kinds of issues, horrifyingly enough, like abortion, euthanasia, you can go down the list. Things that should not be plausible, you know, are, are now cherished and, and championed and celebrated. But, you know, I think this uh, COVID-19 crisis reveals something that we ought not to miss, and, and that is that the secular worldview has robbed Western people. Who, who are secular. It hasn't robbed, you know, Christians in Western civilization, but it's robbed the, uh, the vast cultural consensus of the West, of the ability to talk about death, and, and or for that matter, life. So you, you just look at this, uh, this scramble right now in the midst of this crisis to try to have any categories to discuss it meaningfully. And, you know, in a secular worldview, there just really are none. You intimated a moment ago that the church has even fallen under the sway of secularism. How so? Well, you know, uh, all, all infectious and uh, contagion metaphors are, uh, are a little awkward these days, but, but Peter Berger, who was, I think, the, the most important sociologist of the 20th century, and, uh, and someone who I, I think understood this better than anyone else, said that the problem for Christians in the modern age is that we are, and this is his term, we're intellectually, cognitively contaminated. So we think we're Christians, we believe in Christ, we affirm the creeds and the confessions, and yet, if we're not careful, the basic structures of our thinking are going to be more shaped by Hollywood and the dominant uh, you know, cultural ethos than by the gospel and by the scripture. This is one of the reasons why those of us who are, you know, are so grounded in the Reformation, we just come back to the Reformers and their insistence on the ordinary means of grace. This is why we need the preaching of the Word of God. Because we've got to confess that we are unwittingly contaminated cognitively. That is, our thinking is continually contaminated. Just think about the fact that tomorrow night is the, uh, the final episode of the ABC series Modern Family. 250 episodes later, Modern Family comes to an end. Well, just think of how that one program contaminated the minds of Americans at the very time when Americans were transitioning in their moral judgment on, uh, on same-sex marriage. And uh, so you just think of that one thing, and you think all those Christians who watched it and laughed, and, and by the way, nothing wrong with Christians laughing, but, but uh, it's just you understand that emotions, intuitions, plausibility structures, they're all being reshaped as you watch a, a sitcom. And, uh, you know, as Christians, we better be real careful about that. Let's talk about the triad of life, marriage, family. Maybe we could even make it a, a square and talk also about human sexuality. Yeah. In those deeply intimate and interrelated issues, what has secularism managed to do? Well, it has managed to unravel just about everything that makes a civilization work. 
And so, you know, one of the basic principles of the biblical worldview is that when God creates the structures of of what we would call even gender or biological sex, making us in his image as male and female, then establishes marriage as the conjugal union of a man and a woman in covenant for a lifetime, and then, you know, adds children and the natural family. Uh, We come to understand that human flourishing and God's glory are both revealed right there in a way that they won't be revealed without marriage and family and parenting and the bonds that, that God has given us. And so we, we've basically seen on the issue of, uh, of marriage, sex, parenting, family, as you name it, we've basically seen the first requirement of civilization unraveled. And, and look, aren't we seeing it right now, Todd? It's, it's so amazing. I, uh, I'm trying to talk about these things in public, hoping that it just might get someone's attention in the midst of this, of this crisis. You know, right now, everyone's talking, and, and there's this huge social inequity, huge inequity. You just think about all these kids at home now. The kids who are at home with two parents are in an enormous advantage over the kids who are at home with a, with a, a single working parent. And it just so happens that's not just a sociological fact. Now, again, we're, we, we want to champion every brave single mom and dad doing the best they can. But we also want to point to the fact that the Bible says, here's God's intention, the greatest flourishing is going to be found here, and, and uh, of course, the Christian worldview says, based on Scripture, that if the family is weakened and marriage is relativized, then nothing else beyond that's going to work. And uh, we're seeing that right now. Let's talk a little bit about religious liberty, which it kind of has been, perhaps, in at least in our legal system, the swiftest and biggest victim of all these things that have accumulated around secularism. Yeah, well... So a culture that grows increasingly hostile, and especially when you consider what's happened in the legal culture and the, the legislative culture of the United States, you look at the, especially during the Obama administration, even some of the executive orders that were handed down, such as the, the notorious contraception mandate, you can just see that they, were, they didn't even have to violate religious liberty. They, they, could, they could easily have come up with a policy that would have avoided the religious liberty concerns, but they deliberately didn't. And so this is the difference between that secularization, which is kind of passive, and secularism, which is very active, because that was an active decision based on a, a, a very secularist worldview to say that, you know, if you, if you have a problem with the Board of Fashions, then too bad, you're going to have to pay for it anyway. If, you, if you've got a problem with abortion, too bad, you're going to have to pay for it anyway, is the logic now that is being extended. So it is obviously a collision with religious liberty, and, and we're seeing it right now in such a way that even in the mainstream media, we see newspaper headlines that put the words religious liberty in scare quotes, like it's not a real thing. It's just what somebody wants to call an argument. Let's just say that that would be beyond the imagination of the founders of this nation. And with that liberty, since at least the founders of our nation saw it as of one piece with other fundamental liberties there in the First Amendment, that is speech and yes, even the press, if one falls, can the others be maintained? No. Isn't that interesting? That's a great question, Todd. So just consider right now the fact that uh, a stay-at-home order or a shelter-in-place order, like so much of America is under right now, it basically requires what we're counting on is just a temporary pause in certain liberties, but it's, it's not only religious liberty and the freedom of, of Christian churches to gather together, but it's freedom of assembly. 
and all of that is now is now very much tied together. That's just one little indication of the fact that none of these rights stand alone. And again, the the, the framers of the U.S. Constitution, the founders of this nation, those uh, who signed the Declaration of Independence, they clearly understood that. And they also understood, even behind that, that these rights won't last unless they're understood to have been granted by the Creator. So in a secular age, all of these rights just become debating points. Isn't that really what the basic premise of secularism is, that whatever we have by way of rights or civilization is not a gift from our Creator, but in fact something that we have invented ourselves and can retool anytime we like? Oh, you know, how, how tragic that is, but, but that's exactly what we're facing. And I, I end up talking about this all the time in both Europe in that context and in North America. But it's, it's right now far more frightening to see this in Europe, where I was just looking at a major statement from a figure in the European Union who talked about these rights as the greatest achievement of Western civilization. Like, we came up with these things. And, and, and yet, the people who first began to define these rights in, in the terms we understand them they explicitly did not make those arguments on civilizational terms. They, they framed them in theistic terms. Uh, the, the, the authority they invoked was not the authority of, uh, of the Revolutionary Congress. It was the, the authority of God himself. And so the European Union is an example of trying to establish these rights as if they're hanging in air. And, of course, it, it, it won't last. It doesn't work. There's the great danger is that uh, in the United States, the same ideas are gaining traction day by day. Finally then, Dr. Moeller, why, as you say in the book, is a commitment to the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God more necessary now for Christians than ever before? Yeah, the conscious affirmation of it is more essential now than ever before, because unless Christians remind ourselves constantly that when we're reading the Scripture, we're hearing God speak— the classic Christian formula, when the Scripture speaks, God speaks, then we're going to kind of intuitively just see the Scripture as one more voice to add to the mix. But, you know, true Christians can never see the Word of God as one more voice in the mix. It is, as Luther said, norma normans non normata, almost my favorite Luther quote. It's the norm of norms that can't be normed. And, uh, well, in that sense... Again, I just could not more enthusiastically say with Luther, I want to affirm it's the norm of norms that can't be normed. If you allow any other voice as, uh, as if it's on par with Scripture, then we're doomed as Christians. We can't possibly be faithful. But Christians are those who start out with the fact that there is one voice we hear, and it is the voice we must hear when we hear no other voice, and it is the voice of Christ, the voice of the one true and living God in Scripture. Dr. Albert Moeller is president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, host of The Briefing and Thinking in Public. He's author of numerous books, including his latest, The Gathering Storm, Secularism, Culture, and the Church. When you purchase this book at our website, a percentage of your purchase will support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Talk On Demand Archives, and look for The Gathering Storm by Dr. Albert Moeller. Dr. Moeller, thanks for being our guest, and I'm looking forward to seeing you at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Chicago. I am surely praying it's going to take place. I look forward to being with you. And uh, let me just add, if, if you'll allow me, that at the website for the book, at uh, thegatheringstormbook.com, folks can go and already see the first three chapters of the book and some other materials that might be helpful. Thank you. 
When we come back, Glenn Stanton is going to join us. We're going to talk about a possible coronavirus baby boom. Well, people have a lot of time on their hands. They're with their loved ones, husbands with their wives. What would it mean and why would it be, in fact, a very, very good thing? We'll talk about that next. Remember when education was about the fundamental skills of reading, writing, and arithmetic? And about reading great literature and studying history to give our kids a model for what it is to be a good person? Memoria Press's Classical Christian Curriculum offers that very model for your homeschool. Get $5 off your next order by using the coupon code LPR20. For more information, go to memoriapress.com. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Your church Easter egg hunt has been cancelled. But that doesn't mean there aren't wonderful treasures to be discovered at Ad Crucem. Celebrate your child's confirmation with Lutheran certificates, necklaces and memory boxes and wish all your loved ones a joyous, if socially distanced, Eastertide with our Christ-focused greeting cards. Put what you believe, teach and confess on display with our Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed and Athanasian Creed. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. LCMS Disaster Response provides guidance and assistance to congregations who seek to proclaim the gospel and show mercy in the wake of disasters. We can bring capacity to your congregation through on-site assessment, volunteer training and congregation preparedness, and through grants direct to your congregation. For more information, follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. 